Uh, we've been looking at the life of David, and we've been trying to look at the life of David so that we can learn how to have a heart for God. We want to develop a heart for God, just like David did. David is called a man after God's own heart. The only one in the Bible that that's mentioned of. So uh, it seems like if we would just study the life of David and try to emulate some of the things that we learn from him, not everything, but emulate some of the things, maybe we too can learn to have a heart for God. As we've been studying the life of David, we see that Saul is destined on killing David. And David has lived based most of his adult life up to this time in being pursued by King Saul who wants to kill him. So David is, is living his life running from King Saul. And he's living his life in fear, in disappointment, and frustration. Everything seems to be caving in on David. No matter where he turns, it seems like he just it gets getting harder and harder for him to discover God's purpose, God's will for his life. This morning we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapters 21 through 24. Now, we're not going to look at every chapter or every verse. Uh, as usual, I want to pull out some truths. I want to pull out some things that will help us look at the life of David. We'll look at these uh, words under the heading, Watch out for things that cave you in. Now, remember, our goal is to develop a heart for God. So we're going to develop a heart for God. We've got to watch out for certain things that have a tendency to drag us down, that have a tendency to cave in upon us. The first thing we're going to see in this passage, these verses, is that trials will cave you in. In chapter 21, it opens with a series of mistakes that David makes in his life. The first thing we see in, cha in chapter 21, verse 1, is that David goes to a place called Nob, which is the home of a man called Ahimelech, who's the priest. David is running in fear. Now, he has no reason to run in fear. He knows that God's going to protect him. I mean, after all, God has ordained him and anointed him to be the next king of Israel. I think God is more than capable of preserving David to get him through that. But he's running in fear. And, and, and he comes through this, this place of Nob, and it leads him to do some unusual things. David is trying to decide, what do I go? What do I do from here? So he goes to Nob, a place of worship. That seems logical. When you're looking for answers, you go to a place of worship. But David didn't go there for the reasons that many of us would go to a place of worship. <coughs> David is running in fear. So Ahimelech, the, the high priest there, he recognizes uh, David's uh, running and, and he begins to be afraid. And he says, why are you here? Notice what he says in verse 1. And why are you alone? Why is no one with you? See, he knows that Saul and David are not on the best terms. He knows that Saul is destined to, to kill David. So he wonders why David is there. So Ahimelech is starting to be afraid as well. Notice how David responds in verse 2. The king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, No one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. Can I tell you something? That is a bold-faced lie. David is lying to the high priest. Now keep in mind, the Bible doesn't necessarily approve of the behavior of its heroes. It just records them. It just, it just records them so that we can learn from their, their behavior or learn how not to behave. Sometimes David does some things that are admirable, and we should emulate what David does. 
Other times, David does things that we should not emulate. They're not admirable. This is one of those times. So we look at this example and say, oh, David, you should have done that. You should have told that lie. But notice what he does. Is he, he goes in there. As the story begins to reveal, David goes there and he seeks two things at the house of worship. He seeks bread and he seeks a sword. Now stop and think about that for a moment. That should be two things you should be able to receive when you go to the house of the Lord. You should be able to receive bread for nourishment along the journey. And you should be able to receive a sword to fight the battles that come your way. So David goes, I need bread and I need a sword to, to equip me. Now some people say, but David did not deserve the bread. Well, that's true. How many of us really deserve anything from God? None of us. We think we do, but we don't. If we got what we deserve from God, we'd all be dead today. So before we're too hard on David, because David lied, he does not deserve anything from God. None of us deserve anything from God as well. You see, the Lord provides not on the basis of how good we are. He provides on the basis of how good he is. He provides about the nature of his person and not the nature of our person. And so in verse 7, we pick up, the, up, the, pick up the, the story once again. And it says, now one of Saul's servants was there that day. And we learn that his name is Doeg. Doeg was an Edomite. He was a, a, an ally of King Saul. He was watching. He is listening as David begins his tale with Ahimelech, the high priest. You see, there's a principle to be gained in this passage. The principle to be gained is be careful what you say and do because somebody might be watching and listening. When you come to the house of worship, be careful what you say, be careful what you do because there might be people watching. Now, Doeg is going to play an important part in the story later, so I want you to hang on to that name. I want you to hang on to that individual because that's going to come back to haunt David in the future. So David leaves Nob and he, and he flees to Gath. He runs from Saul and he flees to Gath in verse 10. We see that. And that's interesting. Here's David. He's running from his enemy Saul and he runs right into the hole of his enemy. You know who's from Gath? Goliath. Goliath. The guy he just defeated. So he runs from the enemy Saul and he runs into the hands of the dreaded enemy of the Philistines the home of Goliath. You see what's happened to David? He has allowed fear to dominate his heart. And it's led him to make decisions and do things that are not God-approved, are not God-ordained, and not God-sanctioned. He's allowed the fear to grip his heart. When he arrives at Gath, guess what? The people recognize him. Uh, they know who he is. Notice the words of verse 11. In this passage, the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Now, he wasn't king, but th they heard the rumors. Is the king of the land, isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Notice David's response in verses 12 to 13. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman. 
making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. David begins to, oh my goodness, I've got myself in trouble. So he does, he begins to pretend that he's something that's not. You know, Christians do that all the time, don't they? When Christians get into enemy territory, when Christians get into a place where they're not supposed to do, they start doing outrageous things. They start acting crazy. That's exactly what David did. He started acting crazy. Why? Because yeah, he was out of the will of God. He was out of the place of God. And so he was in a realm of the enemy. So he began behaving in a way that was contrary to who he was. Christians do the exact same thing. When we get out there in the world and we get out of the will of God, guess what? We'll do anything. So what does David do? He starts acting like a madman. He starts acting crazy. He's writing graffiti on the walls. He's scribbling on the gates. And, and he's, he's slobbering all over himself and acting like a mad man. He's acting crazy in this situation. Notice how King Agnes responds in verse 15. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this, must this man come into my house? Let me give you the, the modern day translation. I have enough nuts around here. I don't need one more. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he's saying. And this is the situation we, we find David in. And then we go to chapter 22. And we see David has escaped Gath and he went to the cave of Adullam. The cave of Adullam. And while he's there, he's finally joined by his family. And he's joined by 400 men and their families. Notice how it describes these individuals in verse 2. All those who are in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. I couldn't help but think, please, I am not getting political here. I couldn't help but think, man, that sounds like Donald Trump supporters, doesn't it? And I'm not, I'm not bashing any of them, but this seems to be the scenario. that They're, they're distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. But anyway, all these people gathered around David at that time. They're going through some trials. They're going through some difficulties of their own. And so it leads them to the cave where they join David. Sometimes when you're going through trials, you bond with one another. You, you, you find solace. You find strength in one another. And the truth that comes from that little story is this. It's much easier to go through difficult times when you do it with a friend. It's much easier to do it when you, when you do it with individuals who are going through the same thing. Perhaps you're in that situation in your own life. Perhaps you're going through a difficult time. Perhaps you're going through some times that have just caved in on you. And you don't know how to behave. You don't know that. I want you to know you're not alone. God has brought you here because he wants you to know there's people that can support you. There's people that can help you get through this caving experience in your own life. Now the story switches. The story switches from, from David and it goes back to Saul. Saul makes his way to Nob and he confronts the priest. And he begins to ask some questions. And guess who's there? Doeg, the spy. And Doeg is quick to tell Saul everything that he witnessed and everything that he heard. And Saul is furious. So he decides he's going to kill all the priests of Nob and the high priest. And guess who's willing, ready and willing to carry it out? Doeg. 
He said, I'll do it. I'll kill every one of them. And so, so he, he volunteers to do that. As I told you earlier, he said those things that you do, those actions that you do, those words that you say, there's always someone ready and waiting to use your indiscretion against you. Always. That's exactly what happens in this situation. Guard your words, my friends. Guard your actions because they can and they will be used against you at a later date, at a later time. Now the story switches back from Saul, back to David. It's going back and forth between them. The author is telling us the story of this. And it switches back to the cave of Adullam. And David is outside the cave and he notices a rider coming up on him. And the closer the rider gets, he begins to recognize him. It's Abiathar, the son of the high priest. The son of the one who was just killed. And he recognizes him. And then Abiathar comes to him and he says in verse 22, or he tells him what happens. And David responds in verse 22. That day, when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. David realizes. It dawns on him that his mistakes contributed to the tragedy of the others. Let me ask you a question. How many times do your failures hurt someone else? How many times do your, your indiscretions cause damage to someone else? Listen, trials will cave you in. As we read about the story of David and these experiences and the trials of his life, we read 1 Samuel, we get the historical situation. When we read the story, but if you want to know how David responded, you've got to go back and read the Psalms. You see, all we're given is, this is the story, but we don't know what's going on in David's heart until we read the Psalms. Now, we're not going to read the Psalms today, but let me give you some Psalms that, that you need to read. Because all the Psalms I'm going to give you were written in David's cave experiences. Read Psalm 18. Read Psalm 52. Psalm 54. Psalm 56. Psalm 57. Again, 18, 52, 54, 56. 57, because there you're going to read about David's heart, and you're going to see how David dealt with the trials of his life. That's where you really begin to experience what's going on in the man after God's heart. See, we get this idea that the only time we can experience God is in the mountaintops. Our youth will discover that this week as they go to the mountains of Glorieta, New Mexico. <coughs> They're going to experience God in a new way. And it's like we send our kids away to camp thinking the only place they can experience God is on the mountaintops. I have a feeling we learn more about God in the valleys and the trials of life than we ever do in the mountaintops of life. That's what David learns in his own life. We learn more about God in the caves and the things that cave us in. So trials will cave you in. Second, training will cave you in. You see, the thing, point is that God trains us 
in these cave experiences of life. It's process that we go through. For David, the training came in a little village called Caleb. I want to tell you what happens in Caleb. Basically, what happens? Caleb falls under attack by the Philistines. And David goes and rescues the people of Caleb. But in the process of this, this training, David's going to learn some important lessons. The first thing that David learns is the importance of prayer. As he's going through these training events, the first thing he learns is, is the need for prayer, the importance of prayer. Now remember, he's a man after God's own heart. But for some time now, he hasn't been communicating with God. As we go back and look at the previous, the previous chapters, chapter 21, chapter 22, he never consults God. Not once. He's going through all these trials. He's going through all these things that are caving him in, and he never seeks God's God. Yeah, he goes to the house of worship. It ain't to seek, it ain't to seek spiritual advice, it's to seek physical advice, physical comfort. But finally, here it looks like he begins to consult God. Look at chapter 23, verse 2. It says, He inquired of the Lord. He inquired of the Lord. We don't know how much time has transpired in these chapters. But suddenly David recognizes that if he's going to be all that God wants him to be, then he must maintain a spiritual connection to God. He must seek God's guidance. And so he, he seeks a, a word from God. And he basically he says, God, you know, do I need to go up and, and, and defend Caleb? Do I attack the Philistines and defend them? And God says, go. Go and do it. He gives him permission to do it. But as David is, is, is moving out, he talks to his men about it. The men say, wait, well, we're not sure about this. Men are afraid. In verse 3, they're afraid. They don't want to attack Caleb against the Philistine forces. They think the Philistines may be too strong for them. So what does David do? He inquires of the Lord again. Listen, sometimes you get an answer from God and, 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 your, and your colleagues may not be in agreement. You just don't throw in the towel and give up. What do you do? You go back to God again. And you seek His wisdom. And you seek His guidance. And you pray more. Some of you, you've been praying for a situation in your life. Over and over. It doesn't look like God is, is giving you an answer. God's word to you is you keep praying. And you keep seeking. You keep doing it. Maybe you're praying for someone to be healed. You're praying for somebody to come to Jesus. God says keep doing it. Keep praying. Seek it out. That's what he's telling us in this passage. Don't give up. Don't quit. God was training David to be dependent upon him. He said, David, I want you to, to count upon me. And listen, it's not easy to endure. You know why? Because we want results immediately. We want it not, 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 not tomorrow. We wanted it yesterday. Oh, God, uh, solve this problem. Could you do that right now, God? That would make me feel good. That's the way we are. We want immediate results. And some, that's just not the way God works. Sometimes. My experience being it, it doesn't work that way. So he seeks God in prayer. And that's essential. But the next thing he does, he, second, he seeks counsel from the Word of God. So he, he learns the importance of prayer, but he also seeks counsel from the Word of God. In verse 6, we're, we're introduced to an interesting parenthetical statement. It says that when Abiathar fled from Nob, 
Remember, he's the son of Ahimelech. Ahimelech was a high priest. His dad's been killed. He brings with him the, the garments of the high priest. Within that garment was the Uum and the Thum. I, I don't you love those names? I think I'll have grandchildren. I want them named Uum and Thum. Now, you know, uh, these, these were, we don't know a lot about them. But basically what we know, they were carried in the inner pocket of the high priest. And they were like dice, is what they were. And you would go to the high priest and you would consult the high priest with your prayer request, with your what you wanted, and the high priest would roll the dice and you'd get your response from God. Isn't that weird? I said, I was telling somebody this week, I said, I wish God still let it be done that way. You know, I, I could see God and, and, and roll the dice, I'd probably get snake eyes or something. You know, oh, you can't do that, you know. I, I, I wish it was that easy. But you have to understand the context. They didn't have the written word of God. They didn't have a way that they could go back in Scripture and search the Scriptures for the answers. They had to rely upon these things. So in some mysterious way that we can't begin to understand, God would affirm or confirm what He wanted you to do. So He saw prayer. He learned the importance of prayer. And then He seeks out counsel from the Word of God. Thus, prayer and the Word of God go together. We need to understand that. Prayer and the Word of God go together. You pray about something. You search the Scriptures for an answer. And God gives you assurance from His Scriptures. And then He, he gives you peace of mind in your prayers. That's when you know you're on the right track. That, that's when, when, when you know you're, you're, you're going in the direction that God would have you go. Listen, God is training us during these cave experiences of life to trust in Him and to depend upon Him in His prayer, in prayer and His Word. He said, you can trust me, you can count on me, you can depend upon me. But something else happens in the story. And I have to admit, I, I, I love this part of the story. David is dealing with discouragement. I mean, you know, he, he's... he's he saw God in prayer. He, 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 he saw God in, in, in His Word, but he's still discouraged. And so God is going to do something that's going to really help him. Look at verse 16. And Saul's son of Jonathan went to David Oresh and helped him find strength in God. Here's the third thing that David learned. God provides friends to help. You seek God in prayer. You seek Him in the Word of God. And then God finds, provides friends to help you in the struggle. God sends Jonathan, his best friend, his bestest ally. Matter of fact, he discovered that Jonathan has recognized. He said, David, you're going to be the next king of Israel. And I'm going to be your second. I'm going to be your second command. Imagine that. The prince of Israel. The man who's destined to be the king of Israel says, I'm willing to give that up. Let you be king. I'll be your second command. That's what he tells him. And basically what Jonathan does to David, he comes in and, and he helps him and he reaffirms to David the promises of God. He says, David, don't forget what God has promised you. David, don't forget what God has said that he's going to do. Listen, my friends, when people are going through a trial, one of the greatest things you can do for them is remind them of God's promises. It's one of the best things you can do for them. Jonathan was right 
where David needed him. He reminded him of God's providence, of God's promises. Now the sad part of the story, this is the last time David and Jonathan will ever see each other. Never again will they experience friendship and camaraderie and fellowship. So in our training, we pray. We seek counsel from God's word. And we listen to encouragement from our friends. But there's one more thing that God's going to teach us in this training. It's a long story. We won't take time to read it. But beginning in, in verses 19 and following, we begin to learn some other things about David. What's happening in, in the story is that David is running from Saul. And, and David is on one side of the mountain. Saul is on the other side of the mountain. And Saul's army is getting closer and closer and closer to David. Until the point they get with David, circled David, and David has no escape. And they're about to lay their hands on David. They're about to kill him. When all of a sudden Saul receives word that the Philistines are attacking Israel. And so Saul withdraws his army, withdraws all of his men, and he goes to fight the Philistines. And once again, David has been delivered. David learns a fourth lesson in this. He learns about the providence of God. Sometimes in life, just when it looks like you're about to cave in, just when it looks like it's about to do you in, you, you can't see any way out of it. God in some mysterious way with liberty will say, you know what I'm talking about. The medical report comes back negative. Maybe the check arrives just in time. Or maybe that friend comes and throws his arms around you at the right moment. You know, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You have no explanation for it. But God comes riding in on the white horse and delivers you at that moment. You've all been there. God arrives just in the nick of time to save us, to keep us from further harm. Training, it caves us in. Trust me, I've been there and done that. I can't wait to see that what. Training caves us in. But God wants us to depend upon Him and to trust in His provisions to get us through. Trust in prayer. Trust in His Word. Trust in your friends. And trust in the providence of God. That's what we need to learn through the trials that came, through the training that came to sin. Training will cave you in. Trials will cave you in. Third, temptations will cave you in. If we were to ask you, what was, what was David's greatest victory? Most people say his victory over Goliath. Great victory. No doubt about it. But I think David wins a greater victory in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. It's in this victory that he wins. It's in this uh, that he wins the victory over temptation. He wins the victory over killing Saul and committing sin. In verse 1, we see that David has now escaped to the desert of En Gedi. That doesn't mean anything to us until you understand it from a geographical point of view. Uh, in Gedi is a desert 
that's on the west bank of the Dead Sea. What is the Dead Sea? The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on earth. You can't get any lower than the Dead Sea. And what's David doing? He's dwelling in the caves at the lowest spot on the earth. Is it a metaphor? Is God trying to paint a picture here for us? David has gotten about as low as he can get. He's dwelling in the caves around the Dead Sea. He's about to bottom out. And there's no, no hope for him. He's hiding in the caves. King Saul's hot on his heels. And suddenly, King Saul has to uh, nature calls. And the, the Bible says that, that King Saul had to relieve himself. So King Saul goes into the cave where David's men are hiding. And he goes into the cave to answer nature's call. As King Saul walks in, remember, he's a big man. He's 6'4". He's a big man. Uh, and the people recognize a shadow coming in off the, off the lights from outside the cave. And they know it's King Saul. King Saul, because he's coming from the bright sunlight out in the, in the desert there in, in, around the Dead Sea, his eyes can't adjust that quick to what's going on in the cave. So he doesn't see the men hiding in the cave. He goes in to relieve himself, to take care of, 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 of that, and, and suddenly the men say this to David in verse 4, chapter 24. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Here's what they said, David kill him. This is your chance, David. This is your opportunity uh, to get rid of this individual. Let's stop and think about it. Saul has been pursuing David for years. Pursuing him in, in, in the caves. He's been putting all these trials and all these traumas on his life. All David has to do is kill him and David will be rid of this man. He can go home to his family. He can go home to, to his friends. He could finally be the king that God promised him he would be. All he has to do is kill Saul. And God has delivered him to him. I love what David says. He said, I will not lay my hand on God's anointed. I will not do it. And so instead of killing Saul, what does he do? He cuts off a hem of his garment. He just cuts off a, a part of it and holds up. And as Saul walks out of the cave and he heads back toward his people, David walks out of the cave. He goes, Saul! Saul! He recognizes, Saul recognizes that it's David. And he turns and goes, is that you, my son? And David points out and says, I could have killed you. Here's the evidence that I could have done it. But I didn't do any evil to you. I didn't do this. David refuses to give in to the way of the world. He refuses to follow a path that the world said. The world will say, kill Saul. Get rid of your enemy. But David said, I'm not going to sink to that level. That's what Saul would do. Saul would kill me. I'm not Saul. I'm going to behave differently. And David's testimony of grace and his testimony of goodness shine through him. And, and Saul is remorseful in his assault on David. And he leaves David. He leaves him alone. 
David demonstrates that he will not live according to the ways of the world in retaliation. He will not do it. He says, instead, I'm going to follow the ways of God. I'm going to do what God would have me to do. The lesson for you and I is clear. When temptations come, we behave differently than the way the world behaves. The world says, get even. The world says, you have a right. The world says, cheat, lie, and steal. Anything goes as long as you get ahead in life. But God says you do not respond that way. We don't behave that way. We demonstrate grace. We demonstrate love. We demonstrate patience. The Bible says that we love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. The Bible says that we ought to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. The Bible says love them as you love yourself. We ought to resist temptation. No matter what the world says, we can't behave in such a manner. We, we live by a different set of rules. We live by a different set of standards. We live by a different authority. We live by a different code. We live under kingdom principles, not only principles. David has realized that in his own life. These are the things that will cave you in in this world in which we live. Trials will cave you in. Training will cave you in. Temptations will cave you in. And listen, if we're going to develop a heart for God, we must learn to watch out for these things. We've got to learn to watch out for those things that will take control of us, that will hurt us from developing a heart from God. Perhaps there's some of you here today, and you're being overcome. There's some difficulty in your life, there's some trial in your life, and you're being overcome. I want you to know that we stand ready to help you. We may not solve your problem, but we stand ready to help you. We are here to point you to the one who says, cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. We're here to lead you in the path of the good shepherd who loves you and lays out his life for you. We are here to help you. We are the body of Christ, and we want to, to help you experience the body of Christ. We want to love you, throw our arms around you. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to help you God's word to be all that you can be. Even as things are caving in around you. Perhaps today you need to come to God. Perhaps today you need to come to Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. Maybe you need to come to him today. And for the first time find help in the midst of your trials. Find help in the midst of your difficulties. Find someone who can help you when life is caving in on you. Or maybe God brought you to this church because you need a church family. You don't just need to be an addendum. Somebody that's a worshiper, but you're not an attender. Somebody that's not involved in the church and committed to the church so that you can be loved, you can be cared for in a more intimate way. Maybe that's God's word for you today. In a moment... We're going to have a time of invitation. Kip's going to come. Cassie and Marilyn are going to come and play. Kip's going to lead us in song. I want to ask you to stand as we pray together.